to see you here today. Uh, those of you watching online and those of you here in person, I don't know if you know this, but it's officially written that if you watch the live stream or attend church on the Sunday after Easter, it's double the heaven points, just so you know, because most people don't. So you get double heaven. There's no such thing as heaven points. Can I just say that now before I get a bunch of emails and stuff, all right? <clears throat> just email me at meganmooneyhotmail.com if you've got a problem with that. Uh, we're continuing with our series on the Gospel of Mark. I've entitled this sermon this morning, How Jesus Uses, uses Roosters. Um, so, yeah, you can laugh. To go back. That's a good, good title. Okay. Now, you guys remember when Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed twice? I preached on that a few weeks ago. Um, Jesus also told Peter that he was praying for him. And if you also remember, <clears throat> Jesus tried three separate times to wake Peter up to get Peter to pray for himself. And each time Jesus came back, Peter was sleeping. So Peter didn't feel really urgent when it came to praying for himself. Peter, wake up. You need to pray because what's about to happen to you isn't going to be pretty. It's going to be the worst spiritual moment of your life. You are going to fail miserably. But Peter didn't believe that him failing to that degree was possible. Now, Peter believed he could fail, but not like that, because Peter's biggest strength was what? His confidence and his courage. This is what we knew about Peter. But he was, in fact, about to face his darkest hour and to fail in the area he thought was his strength. Would anything good ever come out of this for him? But think about this. Every morning after that moment, Peter was reminded whenever he heard a rooster crow, about what happened. You understand, like, roosters didn't stop crowing after that morning. Do you think Peter hated roosters? I'm just wondering, like, here's that rooster again. So with that in mind, just do me a favor right now. Stop what you're doing. Listen carefully to me. Take just a moment to reflect on the moment of your greatest spiritual or moral failure. Yes, I want you to go there. <laughs> just take a moment and get it in your mind <clears throat> is there anything that reminds you of that moment on a regular basis something that reminds you about the lessons that you might have learned at that moment of moral failure how does remembering moments like this impact us I mean I guess a lot of it depends on what happens after right so let's look at our passage today. It's in Mark chapter 14, 66 to 72. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she said, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But Peter denied it, <clears throat> saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again. And began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them, but again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders that all heard the woman again say to Peter, certainly you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. We can hear it in your accent. But Peter began to invoke a curse on himself, meaning 
If I am lying, may God strike me dead. That's what it means to curse himself. And then he began to cuss. I don't know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Yes, you'll see I have some subliminal roosters throughout the sermon. Let's look at the historical aspect of this passage. I want to talk about being faithful from a distance. Between 1 and 3 a.m., Peter is watching Jesus on trial. We talked about that sham trial last week on Easter Sunday when we talked about you know, the sermon titled Easter Pressure. And from a distance, he can see all that's going on. He's at an, uh, Annas's house in the courtyard below where all the trial's taking place, and it's not going well. We know that he's close enough to hear and follow along because later on, other Gospels tell us of a very personal interaction Jesus had with Peter when after he denied Jesus a third time, Peter looked at him right in the eyes. So we know they're close enough. So Peter is still following, but from a distance. He's in this courtyard below where the trial is taking place. He's just observing. He's watching. Why do you think Peter is even there? I mean, just a few moments ago or a few hours ago, the scripture says all the disciples ran in fear when Jesus was arrested. Do you remember that? Including Peter. Why do you think he's even in the courtyard? Me personally, I have an opinion. I think it's a feeble attempt by Peter to look like he hasn't abandoned Jesus yet. Right? I mean, he, he, I would never abandon you even to death. And then he runs and says, well, that can't be my end. <clears throat> so now he's in the courtyard. No other disciples are with him. Technically speaking, Peter has not left Jesus' side. He's still around, but he's far enough away from following Jesus to mitigate the potential costs or the potential risks. Isn't that how we often follow Jesus ourselves? frankly, close enough to look like we're following Jesus, maybe even be an earshot of a few things that might be good for us to hear, but we're safe enough, far away, safe enough to manage the risks. See, I think Peter's still hopeful to a degree here. I mean, he's seen Jesus confront the Sanhedrin before, and Jesus has always, every time, won the argument he's gotten the best of them. Maybe, just maybe, he's in the courtyard waiting for Jesus to outsmart them yet again. Or perhaps he's waiting for Jesus to escape the angry crowd that wants to kill him untouched and unharmed like he's actually done before, actually more than once, right? Where a crowd said, kill him, and the scripture says he escaped and no one touched him. I mean, it makes logical sense, right? Peter's thinking there's still a chance that this following Jesus thing is going to work out pretty good. So I'll stay back and wait for him to do his thing, and then I'll run to his side. But this time it's very different. Do you remember from our sermon last week, Jesus is beaten. They put a sack over his head, and they're hitting him and punching him. They're mocking him, saying, why don't you talk for God now, Jesus? They're spitting on him. See, it used to be easy for the disciples to follow Jesus when he's working miracles and outsmarting everybody. But suddenly, following Jesus is costly and it's terrifying. And Peter's anxiety and his fear is rising. It's all new territory. Following Jesus never felt like this before. For the first time ever, Peter sees Jesus vulnerable. 
Nobody has ever laid a hand. Think about this. This is a fact. Up to this point, no one has ever laid a hand on Jesus. And now he's getting beat up. So that's Peter, just watching and waiting. But then his failure becomes evident. There's a woman servant of Annas, the high priest, who confronts Peter, accusing Peter of being with Jesus, and Peter obviously vehemently denies it. And there's a reason that Mark points out that this is a female servant as Peter's accuser. You have to understand culturally there are some things at play here. She would have, as a female servant at that particular time, I'm talking about the cultural issues of the day, she would have the least authority culturally to condemn any Jewish man, especially in Jerusalem. And for a Jewish man to have to answer to a servant woman would be particularly humiliating and humbling, culturally speaking. Yet Peter does this. He feels so afraid he has to answer this servant woman's charge But he does more than just deny that he knows Jesus personally. He says, I don't even know who you're talking about. I've never even heard of Jesus. There are two Greek words for deny in this passage. The first one is edou, which means I have never seen with my eyes or any other senses Jesus. I've never seen him and I've never heard his name. I don't know anything about him. I've never touched him, never seen him, never smelled him, never heard him, nothing. No sense of mine has ever been anywhere close to Jesus. It's impossible for me to know him. Then the next word is epistemi, which means denying any personal knowledge. So it's not just, I don't know Jesus. He says, not only do I not know Jesus, I've never seen him. I don't even think I've ever even heard of him. I don't know who this man is. I don't know what you're talking about. And, of course, everyone in the courtyard knows Peter's lying. I mean, the whole remember Palm Sunday? The whole city knows who Jesus is. Everybody's at least heard of Jesus the Nazarene. And suddenly, the rooster crows. How do you think Peter's feeling when he hears the, hears the rooster for the very first time? Uh-oh. I've got one crow left. So he's feeling vulnerable, right? Understand, this is what happens. He's feeling vulnerable. He sees he's out in the open, and this woman is openly accusing him. So the scripture says he leaves the courtyard and goes into the gateway. Now, the gateway would be like a very dark tunnel or corridor that would lead from Annas' courtyard out to the street. So that's where he is. Harder to see. It's dark there. But this servant woman is relentlessly following him like a mosquito. And now, she doesn't accuse him personally, she publicly accuses him so that all can hear. Oh no, this guy right here, everyone, listen up. He's trying to walk out the dark corridor so we don't see him. He is definitely one of them. Now everyone is looking at Peter. You ever been there? When somebody calls you out in front of everyone, puts you on blast, says, hey, this is the one who did it right here. Like when I was a waiter at a restaurant, I remember one time that I was carrying a milkshake. I guess I was at Steak and Shake. I was the waiter there, and I was carrying a milkshake, and it fell, and it broke. It's loud. It's messy. And everyone's pointing at me, clapping. You ever, done, you ever seen that happen? 
I hate that, by the way. That's my rooster, okay? Everyone's looking at Peter, and now the people in the group are convinced. Everyone in the courtyard, yeah, no doubt, you're definitely one of Jesus' followers. You're one of his disciples. This is terrifying for brave, courageous Peter. And Peter decides to respond aggressively, loudly, so everyone can hear. If I am lying, let God strike me dead right now. And then he cusses. I don't know this man. This time, maybe the first time when the woman accused him, I could see that maybe Peter would react like, no, 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 I don't know him. But this time, this second denial, it's not a reaction, it's premeditated. It's a willful, complete, full, intentional denial of Jesus. And then the rooster crows a second time. And it's all happened so fast, right? I mean, just think about it. Just a few hours ago, Peter was chopping off ears, <laughs> saying, I'll stay with Jesus to the death. But the scripture says he remembered Jesus' words, saying, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me. Now Peter is demoralized. He's broken. He has completed his abandonment of his rabbi. And the scripture says he runs alone in solitude, weeping and crying. You know, if you think about it, anyone be able to withstand this temptation, it should have been Peter, right? If anyone was prepared <clears throat> for a moment like this in Annas' courtyard to be confronted, do you follow Jesus? Well, of course I do. You would think Peter's the one. Yet we don't see that. We see a complete, thorough abandonment, and there's no way to misinterpret it or rationalize it. If anyone, though, think about this, if anyone could have made the right human free will choice to stay with Jesus, it should have been this guy. Not only this, but listen, he had three years of personal training from Jesus himself. He knows that Jesus is God. And now Peter has immense biblical knowledge, Old Testament Jesus explaining the prophecies that these other people have no idea about. He knows more about Scripture at this point than the Sanhedrin. Peter himself has witnessed Jesus do miracles like escaping a crowd, outsmarting the Sanhedrin, feeding 5,000, and then another time where he fed about 7,000. He's seen Jesus raise the dead. He's been on the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah came and were talking with Jesus. <clears throat> I mean, listen, Peter has seen all of it. He's seen Jesus calm the storm. You get the idea. And by the way, when Jesus, remember I preached on this when Jesus sent out the disciples in pairs to preach? Peter did miracles himself. <laughs> Preaching, working miracles. Witnessing it, walking with Jesus every day for three years. I mean, Peter, his personality type is the right type, right, to stand up. He's not like a wallflower. He's bold. He's courageous. He's strong. He's confident. He's a man's man. He has the best resume you could ever imagine to be set up for spiritual success in this environment. Yet he fails miserably. Peter the man Jesus said would become the foundation of the first century church has at this point abandoned Jesus. So 
Let's look at the spiritual. What about this? What does Jesus do or what does God do? I want you to see that Peter is restored by Jesus. So the first point here is to remember the rooster. Luke tells us once the rooster crowed that second time, Jesus looked directly at Peter from across the courtyard. Mark doesn't record that account, but I'm putting it in there just so you know what happens. I mean, can you imagine that moment between Peter and Jesus? Right there, that second. Peter says, I don't know you, and cusses and condemns himself, and the rooster crows, and then he looks across, and Jesus, who's getting ready to be led away to execution, catches his eyes. Peter is broken, he's devastated, he's embarrassed, the pain, can you imagine? Do you think Peter ever forgot that moment that Jesus looked at him in Annas' courtyard after the rooster crowed? For the rest of his life? He would never forget that moment. The rooster has crowed twice, and Jesus said, didn't say this, but the look was, tried to warn you, Peter. You didn't listen. You should have been praying when I told you instead of sleeping. Peter learned the hard way. He could have no confidence in his own morality, his own spirituality, even if he meant really well. I mean, the night before when Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked for you, Peter, he wants to sift you like wheat. Peter couldn't see it. In fact, Peter corrected Jesus, I will never deny you. I will stay with you even to death. But later that night, Peter learned, even as a believer, he would be and continued to be in a constant daily struggle with what? His own depravity. But Peter is restored See, I wonder in that exact moment if Peter also remembered, you know, he remembered that Jesus said, you know, what's going to happen is you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. But do you think Peter also remembered the promise that Jesus made right after that prediction? It's recorded in Luke and it's recorded in Mark. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, The Greek word means you have been restored. Strengthen your brethren. Wait a minute. Your faith will not fail. He just abandoned Jesus. Isn't that the definition of faith failing? Here's the great thing about this story, about what Jesus does. No matter what happened, Jesus always intended to keep Peter and to restore him. No chance, get this, look at this kind of contrast there's no chance Peter would ever end up like Judas despite Peter's colossal failure God kept Peter's faith that Jesus would save him intact even as Judas died completely estranged from Jesus I mean one abandoned Jesus for money the other abandoned Jesus for fear it's still abandonment in fact what I believe is that Jesus was using roosters not to always remind Peter of his failure, but to remind Peter how he had been restored. That was the moment right there, Peter, at his weakest, that the true strength of Peter's faith is revealed. And that is the strength that Jesus would never let it fail. 
it was sort of, I mean, don't judge me on this. I would call it Peter's roosteration. It's pretty good, right? Spell check picked that up, by the way. I just want you to know. Add to dictionary right there. But it doesn't stop there with his restoration. I wanted to say it again, but I didn't. It doesn't stop there at his restoration. <laughs> Peter is also transformed. It's not just restoration, it's also transformation. Look what Peter wrote in 1 Peter, one of his epistles, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Peter wrote this. <clears throat> in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials or tests. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, wow, more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it's tested by fire, that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What do you think Peter was thinking about when he wrote that? See, the beautiful thing, listen to this carefully. There's the most beautiful thing about this story. The post-rooster uh, Peter was a much better version than the pre-rooster Peter. Even though just post-rooster, what was Peter doing? Crying and sobbing. He was a stronger Peter than the one before the rooster. By the way, Peter later also warned about the enemy, didn't he? Instructing us to be sober. In other words, to stay awake and pray. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may tear limb from limb. Why do you think Peter said it's important to stay awake? Because he remembers he fell asleep. You see how this is all working together? What was Jesus' command? You will be restored, and when you do, encourage the brethren. Boom. Peter learned his failure didn't start with his denials, but it started with his failure to stay awake and demonstrate relentless reliance on prayer when Jesus warned him to do so. In fact, if you go back and read Peter's epistles, you will find, now that you have this information, you will find rooster memories all through it. All through it. In fact, you know what happened? In the upper room after Jesus ascended and Peter and all the disciples were there waiting for power to become witnesses, what was happening there? Peter was leading them in what? Prayer. Peter's rooster moment transformed him from reliance on human courage to courage wholly reliant on prayer and on Jesus. See, Jesus always intended to make Peter the most courageous disciple after Pentecost. On the southern steps of the temple, in Acts chapter 2, we learn that Peter preached without fear of death, without fear of arrest, or suffering, or torture. He preached, and thousands of people became children of God. He was preaching with bold, supernatural courage. There was absolutely zero fear in him that day. So let's look at the personal application. I want to talk about how we should be learning from roosters. This was the uh, social media campaign this week. Are you confident you won't deny Jesus with your words, actions, or priorities today? 
See, I even put two roosters up there to warn you it was coming. <clears throat> so let's talk about rooster warnings. Peter's example, <clears throat> his story is an ominous warning, right, about the frailty of Christians, even the strongest among us. Peter was one of us, guys. Passionate, committed, dedicated, confident, yet he failed miserably. Like Peter, we have our own internal struggles with human frailty, do we not? And we live in a hostile world that is always trying to call us out on it, testing our faith at every turn. We are tested morally. We are tested culturally. We are tested politically. We are tested financially. And if we do it on our own, we will abandon Jesus every day before the rooster crows even once. And the danger signs of us being in that position that Peter was are actually quite easy for you to detect. It starts with believing somehow you're stronger than your other brothers and sisters in a particular area. That's where Peter started. No, no matter what others may do, Peter said to Jesus, no matter what others, I don't know what these other clowns are going to do, but I will not abandon you even to death. Not we will not abandon you. It was I. Peter says, huh, not me. Ah, these guys might struggle with being scattered when the shepherd is struck. Remember that sermon? They might struggle with it, but not me. I'm with you. See, he thought he was better than the rest. Perhaps sometimes the warning sign could be a reliance on your own, get this now, and I'm not saying that passion for following Jesus and dedication for following Jesus is wrong, but when, in that, when that is the core source of your confidence, your passion, your dedication, if that's your confidence that you're going to remain faithful in temptation, you know, you guys know what I call that, my favorite phrase in Christianity, on fire for Jesus. If you think being on fire for Jesus is going to keep you from falling, wrong. Peter was so on fire for Jesus, he was chopping ears off. In front of hundreds of soldiers, by the way. But yet he ran scared from a servant girl. Just a few hours later, Peter crumbles in fear due to those accusations. So those are some rooster warnings. Now I want to talk about how you and I, as Christians today, we need to embrace our roosters. Look at this quote from who I think is the greatest preacher ever, other than Jesus, maybe Paul. So he's number three, okay? Uh, what happened to it? There we go. The remembrance of sin committed is the Holy Spirit's frequent, if not constant, method of bringing men to weep over their wrongdoing. And to turn from it. I didn't like that when I first read it. Who wants to cry over spilt sin milk? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, church, we all have our rooster moments. And we want to forget them. But think about this. You ready? Those rooster moments are our best ones with Jesus. They're the most powerful. I believe, and I firmly believe this, and there's nothing in Scripture that says this is true, but just knowing what I see Peter writing and how he became such an encouragement to the brethren and knowing what happened, the emotion, I believe each morning that Peter heard the rooster crow, it reminded Peter to pray. 
reminded him of grace, not shame. He wasn't going out with a BB gun trying to shoot the rooster. In some ways, I bet you that rooster crow, see if, see if as a child of God you can get this, might have been the sweetest hymn he could ever sing. That moment, the rooster crows, and each morning he hears it again. Oh, yeah, I was restored. I was transformed. The rooster reminded Peter of that one time he looked into the eyes of Jesus from across the courtyard for the first time ever, by the way, where Peter looked at Jesus and Peter was completely broken and completely humbled and completely vulnerable with his Lord. How's that not a great memory? Each morning when a rooster would break the silence, it must have been Peter's most intimate moments with Jesus. And remembering our own rooster moments will remind us, too, to pray. The exact thing that Peter was neglecting before his rooster. Those moments that remind us of tender brokenness that reveal exactly how far Jesus will go to keep us connected to him no matter what, even when we run afraid and curse ourselves and curse Jesus and say, I don't know anything about him. Jesus says, oh, yeah, you do. Come back here, grabs us by the scruff of the neck and just brings us back along. Hear the rooster? Don't forget, I'm never leaving you or forsaking you no matter what you do. Oh, you can deny me if you want. I'm not denying you. Whoop. Our rooster moments are the moments that we finally understand the power of grace and forgiveness and mercy. You need to embrace them, embrace those rooster moments, because I will tell you, this is when we are comforted by roosters. Look what James wrote. Remember how Peter was said, you, you need to comfort the brethren? This is how you do it. James wrote about it. Therefore, confess your sins or your roosters to one another and pray for one another. There's the prayer thing again. That you may be healed, transformed, restored. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You see how that's related to Peter's story? Remember when Jesus said, when you are restored, comfort the brethren. What did Jesus mean? This is what he meant. Tell other people about your roosters, Peter. And he did, didn't he? Constantly. Think of how Peter's transparency surrounding his own frailty encouraged others to pray, like I mentioned, in the upper room as they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to give them power to preach. Trust me, guys, you're going to want to pray. No, 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 let's not wait. Trust me, I know. The rooster, just, just pray, just believe me. <laughs> Knowing what we read in Peter's epistles and Mark's gospel, which was inspired as Peter told Mark how to write it, Peter became very... Did you know that, by the way? It's a reminder. This is Mark's gospel from Peter's perspective. Peter became very transparent about all his roosters. And just as Peter's story of denial and restoration inspires us, transparency about our roosters can inspire and encourage others. We must be honest with each other about our own frailty. You know, Pastor Daryl, who helped, me, helped us start Grace Life together, I love Daryl, he's a dear friend of mine, he told me a story once about someone who confronted him. 
And he told me he was in his office preparing for a sermon on James, and he was reading James 5.16. Confess your sins one to another, pray for one another, right? That verse right there. He was reading. It was open on his desk with a Bible. And this woman comes in and says, Pastor Daryl, you lied to me. She was upset. You know what his response was? He told me, he goes, I mean, James is right there on my desk. I'm reading as she comes in. Daryl says, my response was, well, you know, that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that priceless? It wouldn't surprise me that I lied to you. See, that's the way we need to be. We're often like pre-rooster Peter, aren't we? Trying to defend or project some sort of spirituality that really isn't there. Nope, no roosters here. I'm good. See, transparently sharing our rooster moments with each other and how Jesus has used them is encouraging. It's inspiring. It's transformational. They remind us how our faith is preserved by Jesus, not by ourselves. How Jesus uses roosters to restore and to transform us into what we really can be for Jesus. And our roosters also remind us what else? To pray for ourselves and for each other when we have and while we have the chance. Peter learned that lesson, didn't he? Hmm? Dear Jesus, we just pray that you help us to embrace our rooster moments, not to run from them, not to hide them, not to pretend like they never happened, but share our rooster moments with other people so that they can be inspired to know how powerful grace and mercy and faith that is founded upon your work and not ours is and can be. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would use our rooster moments. Give us opportunities to encourage the brethren after we have been restored and transformed. Well, let me tell you about my rooster moment. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask you to keep us mindful of how you constantly can use roosters in our life. Amen. We love you guys. Thank you for being here this week and watching. Have a great week. If you need anything, let us know. We've got your back. Thank you.